Hi, and welcome to Third Waves. Third is a platform that amplifies underrepresented voices through print, events, and on the airwaves. We interrogate the intersections of culture and activism, bringing you interviews and discussions with guests who have knowledge and lived experience on the topic at hand. I am Rona, stylist, creative director, and the founder of Third. I'm Daniela. I'm a writer, musician, and producer at Third. Hi, uh, I'm Tang, and I'm an animator and illustrator based in London, and I will be co-hosting today. On this episode, we will plunge ourselves into the fluidity of language with Tang, our guest co-host for the day, and explore how our use of language can sometimes be as a tool, sometimes as a mode of expression, and sometimes even a therapeutic method. We will hear some poetry by Tang and also give practical advice in speaking with second language speakers. Tang is a London-based Vietnamese artist who engages in visual communication through animation, photography, and tattoos. He also finds inspiration in literature to write and perform spoken word and music in English. Before we get into it, we wanted to ask something of you. A lot of podcasts will ask you to like, follow, and review their episodes. And though we'd love you to do all those things, we have another request to ask of you. Our humble wish is that you share this episode with someone who needs to listen. Be it a friend, colleague, your grandma, whoever. Share the love by sharing this or any of our other episodes. Put a link in your WhatsApp group, tweet your favourite quote or gram with hashtag third waves. Oh yeah, and like, follow and review us too, please. Hi and welcome. Hi Daniela, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Tang was one of the wonderful supporters of the Indiegogo campaign that we ran alongside the Defiant Beauty issue of our print magazine. By the way, thanks again to everyone who supported that. We love you so much. The perk that Tang picked as part of the crowdfunder that we did was to be on the show with us. And now you're here. We're so excited to have you. Please, can you tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself? So I'm from Vietnam and I moved to the UK probably around six years ago, where I study a illustration and graphic design course in Cambridge. And then um, I moved here to London as an animator. The past few years, I was trying to explore other different medium of art as well, besides just drawing. And I found tattooing and writing very, very fascinating. That's where I start writing some poetries and eventually spoken word pieces that I had a chance to perform in different events, different open mics. Yeah. So I've known Tang for a few years. I always really appreciated your sensibilities, like your sense of humor. And I think that's something that we bonded over quite naturally at the beginning. 
And so what's been quite interesting for me is to like see that kind of sensibility, which I obviously got from hanging out with you, but also through your animation and your illustrations and how that kind of evolved into your poetry now and your music as well. So it's been really lovely and fascinating to see that kind of that same sort of sensibility, but kind of expressed through other types of medium. Mm, yeah, I'm. I think yeah, you definitely see me because you were there when I first started writing as well, and I remember showing you the first few pieces that are totally unfinished and um totally not up to standard for my standard now. But um, you were there and very supportive on my journey, and um, yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, that's so nice. Um, wasn't expecting that, but yeah, I'm glad. Um, so I'm really looking forward to our discussions today because it's been on my mind to do an episode about the fluidity of language for a long time. So the thing that is so incredible to me about language or the languages that we use, and it can be so fascinating and frustrating at times as well, is that even if you're a fluent and or a native speaker, someone who has a literature degree, a lawyer or whatever, you can never ever be certain that when you say something, someone else understands fully what you are intending, or even that sometimes you can't even be sure you know exactly what those words mean after a while. I'm bilingual in English and Mandarin. At home, my parents spoke English to each other as their, that's their common language, but neither of them are native speakers. And then I came to the UK when I was 14 and then went to went on to do a degree in literature and linguistics and a master's in philosophy of mental disorder. And philosophy is a discipline that's all about first painstakingly defining what words or phrases you use mean before actually proceeding to use those words and phrases to structure your argumentation or point. But anyway, you can see why I'm fascinated about language, but more recently, I also start to think more about how within the same language, there are different modes of expression, communication, and I'm not necessarily talking about sociolects, which in linguistic describes how different social groups will have their own way of speaking, such as like including slang, basically, but also other things. But more so, I'm talking about like, like for example, academic language has its own way of structuring ideas, right? And it can be quite inaccessible and have the effect of gatekeeping, like keeping those who don't necessarily use those codes of communication outside of the room. So all in all, I think language, yeah, it's it's hard work and requires it and should require it to communicate with people around you to ensure everyone understands what everyone else means intends like when they say stuff yeah anyway that was a really long monologue i hope you guys understood what i was trying to express um what about you guys do you have specific things that yeah in your relationship to language or poetry that you want to kick start our conversation with i think language is very fascinating to me because i came from vietnam vietnamese is my main language that we use every day but ever since I came to UK, I have to switch completely to English. So everything I do, like even to the smallest things, like going to the shop or asking for direction to attending lectures and writing dissertation, I kind of have to rewire my brain. 
And um, as such, I feel like my personality changed as well. And this is something quite common that I feel like we're not talking about enough. That's really interesting that you mentioned that, Tan, just because um, currently at the moment, my connection to language is probably twofold. So I'm learning Brazilian Portuguese and in London, I'm immersed in a lot of Brazilian culture because I do samba. It's a language I singing and also been a language I hoping to understand and use so I can connect with people and get a deeper sense of the culture. It's really funny because I think sometimes when you when you can understand a language, number one, I think it tells you something about the sensibility of the sort of culture. Like a lot of the songs that we sing when we parade in our carnivals have quite funny lyrics and things like that. And even as like a very rudimentary speaker of Brazilian Portuguese, I will never forget when I went to Brazil for the first time, lots of my friends would laugh when I'd communicate to people in Portuguese because they'd be like, Rona, like you're properly going in with the accent, number one. And then number two, I feel like because the language, there's such a bounce to it. And it's really like, it has such strong emphasis on certain parts of the word. I don't know. I feel like it was also making me quite charismatic with what the way I was using language as well. You know, even though, yet again, I was super shy about using it. When I was, I was almost appearing like this very kind of sassy, confident, jokey person most of the time, just because that's kind of my biggest connection to the language. So can completely relate to what you were talking about there with the whole change in personality or sort of pushing a certain aspect of your personality out more. And then I would also say I've currently been reading a lot of Audrey Lord, and obviously she's amazing. She's an amazing writer, poet, etc. But she talks about how language is quite a powerful tool. And she says what is most important needs to be verbalized. It needs to be formed into language. That's something I would say I definitely connect with and see a lot of truth in. I think about a lot of these phrases that we have at the moment when we talk about how we relate or describe experience. And you might hear stuff like, you know, at that time I didn't have the language to communicate this specific thing. Or sometimes when people talk about when they've gone through a very traumatic experience, they sometimes talk about not having the voice to be able to communicate that experience as well. So that's where my interests with this kind of lie. The re-release of this episode is brought to you by Picador and the release of a new book called I Heard What You Said by Jeffrey Boache. Before Jeffrey was a black teacher, he was a black student which means he has spent a lifetime navigating places of learning that are white by default. Since training to teach, he has often been the only black teacher at school, at times seen as a role model at others a source of curiosity. Boaches is a journey of exploration. In the groundbreaking I Heard What You Said, he recounts how it feels to be on the margins of the British education system through a series of eye-opening encounters based on the often challenging and sometimes outrageous things people have said to him or about him, 
Boache reflects on what he has found out about the habits, presumptions, silences, and distortions that black students and teachers experience and which underpin British education. Thought-provoking, witty, and completely unafraid to call out some of the most pressing issues of our times, Boache offers sharp analysis, lively prose, and a searing vision for how we can dismantle racism in the classroom and do better by all our students in the future. Originally from Brixton in London, Geoffrey has taught secondary English for 15 years. He is the author of Hold Tight, Black Masculinity, Millennials and the Meaning of Grime. Blacklisted, Black British Culture Explored. What is masculinity? Why does it matter? And other big questions. And Musical Truth, A Musical History of Modern Black Britain. I Heard What You Said by Geoffrey Boache is out now. So please go and get your hands on a copy, preferably at a local bookshop. Yeah, so many rich things you guys said. I don't know which one to start with. Maybe just quickly picking up on what Rona, you just finished up with. I was listening to Dan Savage podcast, Savage Love, recently, and somebody was kind of ranting about why we need labels. And this was in connection with sexual and gender identities. You know, there is this kind of utopic version where we don't need labels and labels don't matter. And I thought that Dan Savage, who often articulates things very well, the way he kind of responded to it was like, yeah, ideally we don't need labels and these things, categories or whatever. But the thing is, if you, as someone who has been closeted, the first times you heard those labels that more accurately describe how you identify is a way of realizing there's other people like you in the world. And that can give you a lot of solace and support in your own process. And that in itself is a really good reason why labels need to be there. So I found that really, really fascinating. And that's just linking back to Audre Lorde's point about like what's most important needs to be formed into language and verbalized and like the the power in making something more concrete or like coming into the world by speaking about it. But Tang, I had a question. So you you were saying how um when you speak in a new language, you 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 kind of take on a different personality and you were saying that people are not talking about this enough. And I found that quite an interesting thing to say, like people are not talking about it enough. What is that enough part of that about? And, and what do you think are the effects of people not talking about it? Or how do you think people should talk about it more and why? I think the whole concept of your personality change because of the language you use or the vocabulary you learn is just so bizarre to me and um because i remember the first time i started dreaming in english and it feels like i was in someone else's body and i think this version of me that use english is more kind and easily more excited than when i'm speaking in vietnamese i got a theory of my own which came from an experience when i came back to Vietnam during my second year and uh, I want to express my feeling like I want to say that I love something as an object or a dish like maybe Vietnamese pho like I just want to say I love this dish but this if you say that in Vietnamese it's not 
really um, appropriate, I guess, because the word love is preserved for family members and your partners, maybe your pets. Yeah, and I found that when I'm speaking in English, I just throw the word freely because, yeah, of course, I love this dish. I love these shoes. And I never feel like it doesn't mean that it takes any meaning or weight out of that word. It's just more like I have more freedom to express this feeling that I don't have the chance to when I speak in Vietnamese. And it makes me feel like I'm more kind and more excited, as I said. That's so beautiful to think, Tang. It also reminded me of something another man of my friends who is bilingual has told me. She is Norwegian and she said that sometimes she finds it quite frustrating just because she will think of a certain expression in Norwegian and there isn't an equivalent to that expression or that phrase in English. So sometimes it's like you're trying to express something and... um Yeah, there just doesn't feel like there is a way to translate that in the exact same way in English or in the exact same context. And I was just wondering whether you would say that would be the case. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Tang and I were both nodding along as you were saying that. It happens a lot. And and it's funny, it's like sometimes there's also like really specific words and whatever. And, you know, like with really old languages like English and Chinese the overlapping of like concepts and words are huge. Like I find it actually more amazing. I find it more amazing the amount of like really specific concepts that there are specific words for in both of those languages. But yeah, all the time I think of words that I wish I could just like, say in the other language and the other person would understand it. <laughs> yeah, I do really understand the frustration of not knowing how to express your feeling correctly. <laughs> And um, yeah, even in English, like even in English, um, sometimes I just find it very, very difficult to think of a certain word because I don't have the full vocabulary because it's still my second language. And I have to resort to simpler word. And sometimes it makes me feel dumber than everyone else in the room because I have to use like shorter words. Like for example, if I want to say, want to express frustration, but I don't know the word frustration and I would have to say maybe sad. What's the closest feeling to frustration? Oh yeah, wow. Angry. Mm, amazing. And that's, and those are the feelings that, yeah, like elementary English, but those, um, the tool that I have to work with when I first learning English and first coming here as well. I think on the show, we also talk a lot about like how language changes over time and how actually, you know, sometimes that problem exists, not only just because the person can't think to find the word, but also because the awareness around the word isn't there. Maybe linking back to what you were saying earlier regarding sexualities, Daniela, I guess, you know, lesbian, gay, bi is hugely understood now by most modern day societies, but like a concept like being uh, demisexual or polysexual, really intricate sort of 
words that help us define quite nuanced understandings of things. Most of the time, they're quite modern explorations. They're not common, I would say. So there is also something about digging for language, I think. And I think that's where the whole phrase of sometimes when people say they didn't yet have the language to express something, I think it connects to that whole experience of being in a stage or place or understanding where even though a language is your primary language, you're just not at a point of awareness within yourself to bring that point to the surface. Yeah, I I find this is also a very interesting way of looking at language, especially connecting it to the art of being a writer. And I'd say we're all writers in this room. And one of the beauties and struggles I think that a lot of writers have is that, you know, we really scrutinize how we say things. And actually we're always looking for that perfect selection of of words that's going to get the point across in the most effective way to to whatever it is that we're speaking about. Yeah, I want to add something to the relationship between genders and language as well. Because I feel like sometimes the rule of the language itself can hold us back. For, For example, in Vietnamese, we have different pronouns for different people based on their age and gender so for example if i'm talking to you in vietnamese daniela i will have to call you chi since you are my senior and you identify yourself as a woman please address me as that from now on for the rest of the show (laughs) um okay chi (laughs) and i have to address myself as m which is this is very fascinating now that I realize it because the word for M is unisex. So if you are younger, then you call yourself M, but that works for any gender too. But we don't really have a word for, yeah, like if, if I'm talking to you and you're older than me, then your gender is relevant. Something very interesting now that I just realized it as I'm speaking. I guess my point is that there are certain rules in some languages that hold us back from expressing our own gender. And I guess it's still, there's still a lot of cultural influence that keep us from being fully expressing our gender as well. Something related thematically to what you both have been saying is about how like it kind of comes back to gender or sexual identity as well as like language and how well you can communicate yourself. But I was just thinking of like, I know these two cousins who one of them speaks much better English than the other one. But the first time I met the other one who spoke less good English and we were in a sort of like in a, a doctor situation, an emergency situation. And the person who had, sorry, th- these are completely irrelevant details, but I'm just going to carry on with it. The the cousin who had less good, <laughs> sorry, it sounds like a riddle or a joke, but it's not, it's real life happened to me. Uh, anyway, so the cousin who had less good English was able to communicate to me what the situation was much clearer than the person who had better English. And that was a really interesting moment for me because I I just realized, you know, it's not really about how well you know a language, how well you can communicate yourself in general or in a specific situation. 
And then I was thinking, as I was thinking about that story and then hearing what you guys are talking, I was thinking how language is like sexuality in a way. Language is so intrinsic to you and who you are and how you communicate. And it just made me think of Simone de Beauvoir was had talked about how there are as many sexualities in the world as there are individuals, like your sexuality and your sexual identity is specific to who you are. And that is the case of language as well, that like, actually you might all be speaking the same language, but you somehow always have to learn the specific dialect of that one person and the better you know them. And that encompasses body language, expressions and gestures when you know someone really, really well, you can access so much more meaning when they speak or express themselves. And when you meet new people, there's that whole process, even if you speak the same language, of kind of learning their language. It's so interesting that you say that, Daniela, because I'm now just reflecting of my experiences sometimes of being someone who can't speak a language and how much the other aspects like body language, nonverbal communication comes into you feeling like you have a way to communicate. And it's it's almost amazing to think that you can somehow communicate without sharing a language a lot of the time, which kind of then begs the question, well, if language doesn't really have an authority over communication, then what is its sole purpose or what is its, yeah, what is it doing really? I think language doesn't basically have a authority over communication sometimes we think it does and that's the only way which we can relate to people we need to be able to speak the same language we need to be able to like have the same world and actually a lot of the time it's just one part of that whole structure of communication Teng, the last time we spoke um, about this topic, you talked about how there are like feelings of shame that you kind of struggled with or still struggle with, or you, you, you've you observed yourself having these feelings of shame in relation to language or to English. Um, and I just wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about that again. Yes, definitely. The feeling of shame related to language. I think I'm feeling it a bit now. As we speak, I think it has something to do with um, the idea, like me personally, the idea of trying to fit in, even though lang- English language is the tool that I use every day, I still feel like an outsider speaking it because I don't know all the words. I do, there's some, a lot of different words that I cannot pronounce correctly. And sometimes while I speak in my head, I still have to translate word by word or I have to actively open my mental library to go through and find like the, the correct word to use. This process makes speaking sometimes not natural enough for me and therefore I feel like I am faking it like i'm using this as a tool to um to pretend that i'm someone else almost 
And I guess that's one part of the reason why sometimes I feel shame speaking in English. And I think, I think a lot of people who start learning a language would feel this too. My girlfriend, she speaks very, very good Spanish, but I can totally see whenever she got a chance to speak to someone in Spanish, like she both feel very excited and feel shame at the same time that, um, the language is not good enough. And, um, I'm not sure about you guys, but sometimes I feel like if I speak the language wrongly, I feel like I'm offending the person who has that language as native language as well. Like it feels like this is your territory. I am a visitor and it feels like, um, there's many things that I can say that offend you. Or like if I use the wrong word or the wrong expression, so it's, I have to limit myself to like the most kind of like formal form of the language. And sometimes I offend other people as well. I do remember, um, the first time I speak to, the first time I spoke to my professors, I call him sir and I keep calling him sir, sir, like, oh, um, sir, can I, can I speak please? <laughs> and then I think, yeah, it, it's just creates such an awkward tension. And he's just like, yeah, please drop that. Just call me by my name. I can definitely identify with some of what you are saying. So even though I'm bilingual, my parents, like I said, were not native speakers. So when I came to the UK, I was dropped into like obviously a native environment. And so there were lots of phrases and things that I was just like not really able to. Sometimes I would say things and then I realized it was incorrect or something. And I'd be like, oh no, I'm a native speaker. And I, I think I used this excuse up until at least three, four years ago. I'm sure Ronos had heard me say that before. And then at some point people were just like, no, Daniela, you can, you know, people also just like make blunders in speaking naturally. It's not because you're a sec like you're not a native speaker. Just stop doing that. Another form of shame I found from language is that I only know English as my second language and now I use English as my everyday language. So it feels like I don't really have that much knowledge or that much understanding in languages. And I think another point in only knowing English as my second language is because um, it's such a popular language. It feels like everywhere you go nowadays, everyone speaks that language. And um, even though it took me a long time to learn it. It was not an easy journey. It feels like because everyone achieved this, achieved this language, it feels like, um, this achievement of mine is not good enough compared to others. And that's another shame that I feel from the English language itself. Can I just say, I think it's very interesting to reflect that a lot of this is tied to the English language in just as a as a fact and you think about how dominant English is in the world and because when you were speaking now I was thinking about my own experience of say going to places like France where you know you know French people don't usually like it if you you try and speak the language and you you, you haven't got good French they usually will tell you just to speak English if they can speak English too but I was reflecting about how I felt in those moments. And I don't think even if I, you know, I, I think about 
languages like French or say like Vietnamese, which are very complicated and have things like gendered pronouns and stuff like that. And so for an English speaker who's not used to lots of these things, there's like complete potential for us to make loads of blunders and mistakes. And like me even speaking in Portuguese, because that is also like they have the masculine and feminine. I know sometimes I probably make mistakes with saying obrigada to a female or to a male when it should be to a woman and stuff like that. But there's less a feeling of shame attached to that as there would be even being an English person saying something incorrectly in English for me, you know? Oh, I just called myself an English person. Let me just change that. Even being a British person whose first language is English you know, there's probably more shame sometimes I even feel with making small weird errors, especially like we're speaking a lot here about the spoken word, but what about the written words, you know, like when you make small errors, grammatical errors, and et cetera, in um, writing, I think that comes, especially if you see yourself as someone who comes from quite a, a writing background, that comes with a lot of like shame around that. And I do feel like part of that comes from a place where the English really go on about language. And there's also, there's so many different versions of the English language, but this whole idea of like the Queen's English and um, a very sort of, you know, hierarchical of the sort of um, high echelons of society English is always perceived as being more rich or more intelligent or more articulate than other forms of English, which in some ways, linking back to what you were saying earlier about around academics and stuff like that, Daniela, are 110% more accessible, probably more effective when it comes to communicating, but because they don't sound the same way or they don't, they don't have the same sort of like grandiose uses of language, are sometimes um, put on a lower level. Yeah, um, I can totally see your point. Like, especially with when you, when you mentioned how you feel less shame in your uh, native language, even though we make mistake in written language or spoken language every day, and I feel like with my own native language, I give myself the freedom to make mistake as well. It's like sometimes in everyday life language, you don't necessarily use the correct grammar or you shorten, you cut corner, that you make slangs. And somehow that's totally accepted. I feel like the mistakes we make in our second or third languages are way more serious and I feel like it's connected to the point I made earlier how learning another language feeling like you're an outsider trying to fit in and um, try to make as few mistakes as possible. Yeah, I really agree with that. It's just a much more highly charged environment or like mental environment, um, isn't it? Because it's like you're talking about feeling like an outsider. You're feeling like your personality has been altered or you can't be authentic to who you are and you are not accessing the full vocabulary so you're using a restricted palette if we use language from visual communication using a restricted palette to paint the 
picture, the word picture you want to express. And then if you make a mistake, then it's just like, yeah, um, very intense, which is why I think people can actually think a bit more about how they speak to people who English is not their first language, because I think quite often there's like a real tension between like whether you correct someone when they say something wrong. Actually, not it doesn't have to be second language either. But again, that comes into like, you know, the thing of whether you want to wield your power or whether you want to, I don't know, just be kind and and see it as a moment of of expression, see it as a moment of sort of engaging with the fluidity of language um, and the possibilities of expression. Actually linked to what you were saying about being more fluid, well, I keep repeating this word, but more uh, relaxed with the rules, with the language that you know best, you can have a lot of fun, right? Like, and that's kind of what poetry is, pushing the language to the boundaries and having fun with it. I find that obviously sometimes you do that with someone whose English is less good. I'm using English as an example. And they, I can see the flash of panic on their face. They're like, oh my God, have I been saying this wrong the whole time? Like, what is this phrase you just said? Am I saying it wrong? And you're like, no, no, no I'm just like, kind of like making a joke with a language. And they're like, oh, okay. And then like that kind of confusion lingers and you're just like, okay, mental mental note, maybe don't do that too often with this person because like that's going to really challenge their like um, sense of security. What I really, really enjoy, I would even call it a guilty pleasure because it's really guilty because there are people who like let's say English is not their first language and they are trying to actively improve their English but I love the mistakes that they make because it comes from their language they are perfectly able to express themselves or like that I can understand them maybe not to the level they want to express themselves but they will say phrases or whatever and this I'm sure everybody is like has experienced this but like you know the isms like Frenchisms or Germanisms in English or whatever language you bring basically how you would normally speak in your own more native language to the, the other language you're speaking and that's like not a normal way to speak in that language but it brings a new meaning because it's like as someone who doesn't speak German me for example speaking to someone who comes up with this like English phrase but it's actually a German phrase they've translated into English you get an opening a rare opening of seeing how the German language works and how they think in German and it's so amazing and some of it is like really lovely and so I never correct these people because I just I I just love that and yeah it's really guilty because they obviously some some of them tell me to actively correct them and I don't because I really enjoy it but I think it's almost like an error to like I know what you're saying and I think the point you've made is really really beautiful but I think it's an error to almost see that as a need for correction in the first place. I agree. Just because the English is supposed to be malleable, isn't it? And it, it changes over time. And like you, like you said, you know, people bring with them the experiences of their lives. Similarly, I really enjoy sometimes speaking to people who you can tell they're speaking in a way which makes sense for the language they speak at home or like their first language. And I think that's a really interesting use of language. And like, just going back to, to writing, you know, some of my favorite novels are novels that have incorporated in writing all the different ways that people use the English language. And I think that like, even just reading it on the page and like bending the way that words are even spelled out sometimes so you can hear like the voices is such an interesting thing to do. And like, it's such an enjoyable experience. And the place that a lot of people who put an emphasis on correcting people 
is is coming from is from this need to like uphold the queen's english and what is the queen's english you know it's changing all the time so it kind of doesn't make any like when you reflect on it like that it doesn't actually make any sense but then i can totally also relate to the sentiment that sometimes you have friends who because english is their second language or you know someone and because english is their second language they're like please correct correct me if i say something wrong but one thing i do find interesting in this whole topic is where sometimes when they use the language in a way that makes sense for them culturally because of their first language the meaning of what they're saying comes across as very blunt polish people sometimes say the way polish people speak is very blunt in english english like sort of politeness where everything is like please thank you oh maybe oh could you you know lots of fluff is actually included in our language which isn't effective for communication when we get someone who speaks in a way which is so direct and straight up we perceive that as like rudeness and it's like they're just saying what they mean yeah they're actually using the english language in a more effective way if you consider it from that standpoint but obviously emotionally that's not what a lot of people see when they experience that yeah that's very interesting rona i think uh, what you just said there kind of uh, trigger a memory of mine i do remember i got on a cab in vietnam and the driver was holding the door open for me before I came in and I just say thank you to him in Vietnamese and he the first thing he said to me was oh did you go abroad to study just from that interaction and it stuck to me until today because why is saying thank you such a stand out act that that made him realize that I study abroad because when I'm from Hanoi I feel like people don't say thank you enough and that's a kind of instinct that I pick up from speaking English as well and I think that's why I feel like I'm more kind and more appreciated in when I'm speaking English that's so interesting As part of the reading for the show, like I said, I did read a lot of Audre Lorde, and this quote from literally like the first sentence of her essay, "The Transformation of Silence into Language and Action," I just thought was really powerful. And she says, "I have come to believe over and over again that what is most important to me must be spoken, made verbal, and shared, even at the risk of having it bruised or misunderstood. That the speaking profits me." beyond any other effect. And I I think I don't know, I think about this quote and I think to myself just on so many levels I think it has relevance to what we're saying here. To some extent speaking is also it's it's quite a vulnerable act though we do this all the time, but I always just think about any instance where you ask someone to to publicly speak and they find that they kind of shut down in themselves and, and like they find the act of speaking which if it is in your first language if it is in your first language is usually a lot more of a natural affair suddenly becomes like this massive thing there are all these nerves associated with and etc also just the fact that she says the act of speaking profits me beyond any other effect because you think about just this whole idea of like practice as well And actually, even if you are learning a language for the first time and you're making mistakes, 
surely that's an opportunity to get better at that the, the language, you know, like a language not spoken is a language not used. And it's a language to some extent still not understood because you can be a fluent reader or like understander of a language. But if you can't really speak it, I think you're only ever partially using it to its best devices. I found that quote so powerful and so moving because I feel like there's so much bravery in that expression. I don't know how many times, you know, like you, you, you work up this thing you want to express to someone or something about yourself and observation. And you're like, I really want to speak about this. And you put it out there and you risk people misunderstanding you or don't not understanding you at all. And, and, you know, she's saying, just just speak it. Just keep speaking it. Don't worry about it being, I don't know. That was, I found that really moving. Yeah, I agree with you, Daniela. I think that quote really, really capture what I was struggling to say, which, which is quite meta. It, it's very, very empowering. And, um, I guess we have to address pride if we talk about shame in language as well. Yeah, I think you should be proud of the ideas you try to convey, no matter what language you use to convey that. The risk of communicating wrongly or, yeah, like making mistakes are not worse. You know, like, yeah, that, that was very, very beautiful. Thank you, Rona. Okay, so we are going to play you three poems that Tang recorded for us, which we loved. But just before we do that, here's a trigger warning for eating disorders and also suicide and self-harm. So if you prefer, you can skip ahead about eight minutes. Or if you're listening on the radio, just mute us and come back in about eight minutes. Darling, you are apocalyptic. Sleeping in ice age, your tears acidic. Came from the sky, born from a meteor. Paint your skin with tiger stripes. You find enemies in mirrors. Now, darling, you are apocalyptic. Ran into house fires to feel warm. No one warned you about supermen who wears flags as their capes. You starve to stay in shape. Your clothes were one or two sizes too large. Your bedroom is one or two sizes too small. And darling, you are apocalyptic. Bite your nails, send stranger sheets. Mix your medicine in spite of drink. And sing a lullaby and sleep. Eat a vegan wrap. Throw up a vegan wrap. Show me where the gold is buried on the map. Why would anyone bury their own gold? Your skin was one or two sizes too large. Your bedroom is one or two sizes too small. Now show me who you wanted to be in the future. I bet it wasn't a million missed calls. I bet it wasn't someone's treasure. I bet it wasn't someone's gold.
This slice of cake is thinner than the last. You are an introvert at heart. At least, can you smile better? At best, you are your father's favorite wine. Be fine, they said. That's what princesses do. Be the red stain on a white dress. Find your happy ever after by the age of twenty-two. Be the second to your brother. Be a mom. Be kinder than the last. Don't be a mom. Is this all you really have to offer? At least get the oven ready. At best, be the dessert. You used to like the piano, but they grabbed your fingers and told you to wash your nails, then wash your face when you cried because no one wants storm at a party. Dress to be a present, but also be a casualty. Be a unicorn on a racecourse. Be a house with the windows. Be the dark smoke from an incense. Be an ambulance stuck in traffic. What's going to happen now that you don't want any cake? How many candles did you count before you started hating birthdays? What happens to fine wine if it doesn't complement the steak? Does it really get better with age if you can still feel the gaze? Women. Some women they pause at the middle of a film and skip to the end to see if they will like it or not. Some men they pick the worst movies or movie nights. Some women they make money selling photos of their feet. Some men they spend money on photos of feet. Some women they watch horror films and listen to screams and call it music. Some men they pretend they also like horror films. Some women they have trust issues but still choose the wrong lovers. Some men they have trust issues but still choose the wrong lovers. Some women they just want to hear you say you love her. They sing your songs and fight your fights and give in to what you gave up on. Some men they can't sleep at night and bottle up their feelings and they drink from the bottle of advice from people who think it's easy to move on. And some women they are told to be strong when not getting the help they need, and the help they receive turn out to be another line she draws on her wrist. I wonder if she. Believes in the girl in the mirror, or the one in her bathtub that got distorted by every ripple. Ever been so miserable? You sleep for dinner? How can you not trust her with the key but still say that she's the one who's driving you up the wall? And how can you call her beautifully broken and then get mad at other men who also sexualize that illness? Some women are so selfish they don't show up to their own twenty-second birthday party, and all the other ones after that. Some women are so selfish. They don't take meds. They take their lives instead. She told him. She told him, "You crossed the line this time. You should have known better than putting me on edge. I cannot breathe. I should have told you sooner. How I wish I landed on my face as I'm falling from my feet, and my teeth would be shattered and crushed and scattered across this fucking floor. I don't think I can do this anymore. Listens, I need to go now. We can still be friends when this is over, but honestly, I don't know how. I don't know how some men they get to play the hero in someone else's story." 
Muslim women, they have to skip to the end to see if they like it or not. Poetry is literally one of my favourite forms of writing. And it's so nice to hear you read out those poems, Tan. I think language, when used sometimes at its best, can facilitate self-reflection. And I think poetry is definitely a form which invites you to sometimes go into yourself and like name or try to express what can sometimes feel nameless within you. And you can do this creatively in so many different ways through imagery or through all these weird techniques and devices. And like listening to some of your poems there, you know, it was, it's really interesting to see how gender comes into them. And like this whole presence of like roles and attitudes and how they seem to be battling each other, but at the same time, very similar and very parallel to, to each other as well. But also in me saying this, one of the things I love about poetry as well is just how open to interpretation it is. Like, it's one of the ways you can say something without actually having said something definitively, which is something I kind of appreciate. The fact that you can like, you can express an experience without having to explain it necessarily to anyone by yourself. It got me thinking as well when I was listening to your poetry to your poems, how closely linked to memory poetry is. Because a lot of the time we're usually trying to express an experience, just reflecting on how I had used poetry in the past myself. I came across one of my poems I wrote when I was in school, not that long, but not that long ago. And I remember just being like shocked by how much it actually reminded me what I was thinking or going through in that moment. And I just thought to myself, isn't that a, like an amazing thing that language can do? Mm. Um, yeah, I I totally agree with you on the part of giving some feeling their own language, I guess, um, that you cannot really express in other different way. And sometimes you, have, you just have to write it down in form of poetry. Uh, yeah, I would love to hear what you want to say about the pieces, um, about my poetry as well, because even though I wrote them myself, sometimes I feel like there's a certain feeling that I cannot, um, I cannot really explain or sometimes it's just there. It's like sometimes it's like the raw emotion I put in there and I would love to see how other people interpret it as well because it might resonate to them in a different way that those words resonate to me. But uh, yeah, having said that, um, so all these pieces that I've wrote, they came from different time, but I feel like the the feeling of them is quite similar in terms of um, they're all dealing with some form of grief and... Um, some form of um, self-discovering as well. 
Yeah, they. I like writing about my personal feelings, as well as other people' experience that I observe and try to interpret it into my own view. Um, I don't know how much more I should say about the pieces without, like, because I think they are quite obvious in terms of. Like the feeling I try to convey, and I don't want to like give away too much or like try to like explain them. I have to just say I think Rona, what you said earlier as well about the power of poetry and communicating more clearly than everyday language is actually really a really good point because earlier we talked about how language itself is hard to pin down and people can say things thinking they are on the same page, but then it's not the same thing. Because poetry doesn't try to do things explicitly and tries to invoke the meaning, it's kind of like sidestepping the problem entirely. And it just reminds me of this quotation from *The Heart of Darkness*. It's like something that my dad read me when I was like quite young, and then when I studied it in school again, it was like really powerful. But it's like it's right before he starts telling the story, and. They're on the boat and there's Misty on the river. But this is in, not in the Congo, but in like, where are they? In Belgium or something? And the quote goes something like, like the meaning of the episode for Marlowe is not within like a kernel, but enveloped like a haze or something like that. I probably butchered it somewhat. And that book is really poetic. It's really filled with adjectives. And, and yeah, I don't know. I just find that quote, like, I feel like everything's coming together right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's filled with adjectives. <laughs> Can we keep that in, please? I really like that. I really like what you said earlier, too, when you said um, languages feels like sexuality in itself and then you scratch that. But I don't know, like, I kind of understand it, if you know what I mean. Like, I was like, hmm, why does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the spoken word scenes in London? Oh, nice, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's so colorful and beautiful and very, very rich in terms of, um, I've been to only a few open mic night and a few events, but the talents there always blow me away with how I always thought spoken words is like a niche form of art before. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm, I was unaware or maybe it wasn't that popular in Cambridge or in Hanoi where I lived before. But discovering spoken word in London feels like discovering a hidden gem because it's very, very empowering. Everyone is very accepting Everyone came from different backgrounds, different 
situation everyone has their own stories and um yeah and it's just been very therapeutic to me as well i do remember an artist said that poetry is not therapy you still have to go to therapy <laughs> it does definitely help writing it down and performing it to people too because no matter how unique your situation is you would still you would find someone who can relate to the thing you write down yeah i found it's very very beautiful the community in london are there any particular nights or events that you um yeah so my favorite one to go to is um off the chest that run by ella and ifty and they um east london base yeah i think you can just look up off the chest from instagram they are um, starting to do live events again after the lockdown and i think the venue is now in canada water theater and i highly recommend it i heard about one called poetry love love spelled l u v yet again based on the instagram i think it's probably been a bit inactive for a little while but um they've been around for absolute years like probably over five years so i'm sure this group group is definitely one which will bounce back at some time if they're not already in action um and tang you're setting up something aren't you still not 100% confirmed yet but me and a friend is planning to have like our own night our own spoken word night but also because there's so many there's so many open mic night in london that we want to do something unique and um i think um my my main goal if i ever going to run this open mic night is that it should be welcoming and um it should be like everyone should have their it should be treated as a safe space for everyone who's perform or who's just go there to listen because one thing i found with like a few events that um you have like a time limit and sometimes it just feel like you have to either rush through it or it feels like yeah like you go there you express your deep dark feeling and then someone else go next and it's sometimes it's very very overwhelming for even the listener as well like you still haven't digest like all of these beautiful thoughts and um and then you have to like prepare for the next one already i mean that sounds like you guys are putting a lot of thought into making a really good night so i guess people should look out for updates on your instagram will you post about it when it's up and running there yeah um definitely nice Thank you so much Tang. Like it's been lovely having you on this episode and yeah your insights have been awesome and thank you so much for sharing your poems. They were like such a honor to be able to host on the show. If you could let our listeners know where they might be able to find you that would be great. Thank you for having me on the show. I don't have a poetry Instagram but I do have my main Instagram 
where I post my animation. It's a tangerang, spelled T H A N H G A R A N G, and um, I'll try to update some of my spoken word related stuff on it as well. Nice, yeah, can't wait. I'd love to come to that event. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. So, to our lovely listeners, if you're listening to this show on Soho Radio. Please feel free to share and listen back on all podcast platforms as well. And if you're listening on podcasts, you can find this show filled with music and guest mixes on Soho Radio every four weeks. So check our website or theirs for when to tune in. Thank you guys for tuning into Third Waves and stay tuned online at Third Magazine on Instagram. That's Third with three eyes. I'm Daniela. I'm Rona. And I'm Tang. Thanks for having me. 